Welcome to Narrative Distance on Unsafe Space. I'm Carter Laren. I'm Juliet. We're your co-hosts. Uh, <laughs> we're, I, we're laughing. I don't even know if that first thing showed up live, Juliet, or not. But for me, before the the countdown started, like we were on air for a second. I don't know right. why. Um, I blame on. Beverly. Yeah. Uh, Narrative Dissonance is a series in which we screw up the tech and... Uh, but we also question the mainstream narrative uh, with the help of panelists from outside the cathedral. Today's going to be a little different because we have a single guest and we're going to focus on his new book, which is The Voluntarist Handbook. Uh, but before we start, please take a moment to make sure you're subscribed, either on YouTube or on a better platform like Odyssey. And uh, head over to unsafespace.com to support this show and all the other shows on Unsafe Space. Oh, and Book Club is this Sunday. I just started this book. Fossil Future by Alex Epstein. You have until Sunday to read it. I think it's a Sunday. Is it 9 a.m. Pacific? I think it's 9 a.m. I don't even know. It's a good book so far, but I just started. But I know, Alex, I'm sure it'll be an excellent book. So get in there. Okay. This week's special guest is Keith Knight. Keith is the managing editor at the Libertarian Institute and host of the Don't Tread on Anyone podcast. He also has a new book out, which we're going to ask him about, called The Voluntarist Handbook. It is free online. I think I put a link in chats to it. I did. We'll also put a link in the show notes so you can check that out. You can follow him on Twitter, Twitter at Ann underscore capitalist and on the Odyssey at Keith Knight. Don't tread on anyone. Keith, welcome to Narrative Dissonance. Carter and Juliet, thank you for having me. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for being here despite our uh, lack of professionality. Is that a word? Professionalism. <laughs> It's not even a I'm word, not sure, but, but I guess I if all today. words are invented, we just coined a new one. I think uh, I think professionalism is the is the correct word, though. <laughs> I think I don't think we need to coin new ones. Uh, so I want to ask you something just right off the bat, because um, because I don't think actually, Juliet, I don't know what your politics are completely. I mean, I'm pretty sure you're not a social justice warrior. We figure I got that far on my own. Um, <laughs> But <laughs> I don't know the details of your political philosophy. Um, this book, uh, Keith, you said this was inspired by Michael Malice's Anarchist Handbook. Uh, what's the difference between anarchy, anarcho-capitalism, and volunteerism for people who might be confused about what you're talking about, you commie? Well, that is why on page three, I have all of the terms with all the definitions, because even the word anarchism is sometimes translated as meaning um, no hierarchy, which I think is just something totally ridiculous. Uh, anytime right. two people are different, one has a better advantage in some areas than others. People grow up differently, so people have different areas of expertise. So allowing for voluntary hierarchies is totally within the realm of having a free society, whereas the anarcho-communist would want to coercively stop those things from happening, calling them power differentials, which should be abolished. I think that's totally ridiculous. So whereas some anarcho-communists would call themselves anarchists, a voluntarist, I'm going to read from the definition because this is okay. – um, Auburn Herbert's wording. He's the founder of voluntarism. Voluntarism is the moral position which maintains that no peaceful person can justly be submitted to the control of others in the absence of his or her own consent. So it's really the philosophy of consent, <laughs> saying that consent is the root of morality. It's what differentiates slavery from employment, rape from 
lovemaking, kidnapping from hanging out at somebody's house, and uh, theft from trade. The reason this is important in the realm of politics is because governments do quite a number of things. Roads, schools, military, none of those are unique to government's defining characteristic. So what I'm getting at in this book is that anything that can be done with a coercively funded monopoly, the state, is better achieved and done more more morally so with voluntarily funded competing organizations. That's the thesis of the Voluntarist Handbook. And I have 50 essays trying to make that case, going back from 1850 in France up to the present year. Juliet, do you know the difference between anarcho-capitalism and voluntarism and anarchy now? Yes. (laughs) I use anarcho-capitalism and voluntarism interchangeably. I feel like voluntarism is just – the nicer way to say anarcho-capitalism without the anarcho part or the capitalism part, which scares people. Voluntarism sounds nice and sweet, but it's the same thing. Am I wrong? Uh, no, I, I think they're totally consistent. They are two ways of explaining the uh, same thing, restaurant versus a place to go eat dinner. Yes, there, there's so much overlap that there's no sense in uh, really differentiating them. So an anarchist society would mean a society where there are no rulers, no a uh, recognized group has the right to initiate aggression against anyone else, and capitalism would be the institutionalized recognition of private property and voluntary contracts between consenting adults, whereas communism would be the abolition of private property. So that is the capitalism-communism scale that you would uh, be working on, and anarchism would be the political system, whereas capitalism is sort of the economic approach to things. So uh, because uh, those uh, distinctions come up so often, and they're so often the root of the very disagreement, uh, I wanted to have two whole pages where I just defined the terms. If you don't read any other pages, those might be the two most important (laughs) ones. This way, when we disagree, we could at least be on the same page with what we disagree about. I've always found it uh, odd to separate political systems from economic systems because they're so often so intertwined Mm -hmm. that when someone's like, well, capitalism is is an economic system. I'm like, well, you can say that. I think of it as a political system because the minute you like say that there are private property rights, that has a lot of implications that are go well beyond economics. Exactly. And that I think was what was so important about people like Ayn Rand and Ron Paul and Frederick Bastiat for me. Because they uh, – usually it was always, let's talk about economics and then completely change it to civil liberties, and then we'll change it a third time to foreign policy. These are three separate entities. Um, and really when you come up against a principle, like something like the non-aggression principle or something like the, uh, the, the war on drugs, you can see that for the same reason – you shouldn't initiate violence against a peaceful person for using a substance is probably uh, the the same reason you shouldn't initiate aggression against peaceful people for making a trade that involved resources in the economic realm. It's also the same reason that killing someone overseas who is an innocent person is totally unjustified. So even though those are in three different realms, uh, something would be your civil right versus economic rights versus uh, foreign policy discussions – 
all of those are actually intertwined because they involve the same thing. Are we dealing with people on a peaceful, voluntary basis, or are we initiating aggression against someone who hasn't done anything wrong necessarily? So that's the main gripe that I have. And the goal is to get people away. The, the audience, by the way, is basically anyone who's interested in politics. I try to keep it very, uh, b- both very uh, wide in who I'm trying to attract for this without uh, sacrificing any of uh, the most important things that uh, what we find uh, important at uh, the Libertarian Institute. So um, it, instead of people you know, saying, well, the enemy is Muslims, the Taliban, Iran, Hezbollah, North Korea, the rich, the whites, the men, the working class, the rich class, the North Koreans, and now we've gone from having to like Al-Qaeda because they were on our side in Syria against Assad. Now Al-Qaeda's bad again because we had to kill Zawahiri, and now Putin's great and evil. I mean, it's so exhausting just picking arbitrary teams and liking them and loving them and hating everyone associated with them. 140 million people in Russia. You know how many support murdering civilians in the Donbass or west of that or the Ukrainian government's just as bad. So few. So to say Russia's the enemy or even Putin's the enemy, this is so, uh, this is not a principled hatred. With this book, what I'm trying to do is say you can have heroes to admire and people to hate and fight against and develop crusades that, you know, really give a lot of life meaning. You can actually differentiate people not by accidents of birth or levels of income or geographical areas, but whether or not they achieve their ends in life peacefully through persuasion, through voluntary trade, or violently uh, either directly with themselves or most commonly they delegate it to the state because they don't have to face any of the consequences. So that's why I think it's so important for people in their everyday lives. Even if they're not too into politics, you constantly have politicians driving wedges in between average people who otherwise would not be at each other's throats. Chapter 50 is just a collection of uh, random quotes that I think uh, make this uh, case for libertarianism very well and voluntarism specifically. Dave Smith in uh, chapter 50 makes the case that you can have someone who's a Christian and an atheist in America get along very well, even though the Christian thinks the atheist is going to likely burn in a fiery pit for eternity, and the atheist thinks that this Christian's living his one life in complete delusion, worshiping a sky god that most likely uh, came from sun worship. Uh, That's, you know, people like Peter Joseph have uh, popularized this. So that is the great divide. Now, you would think that this is like the ultimate thing that people might go to war over. However, they're able to cooperate peacefully without initiating violence. Now, what if... We decided that in the public interest, we have to have a state religion. You know, this way everyone has the right religion. And, you know, uh, th- th- we don't have uh, this unregulated anarchy of religious beliefs. You know, we have a well-regulated, established religion from the state. Well, now the atheist can't live in peace. He's going to have Christianity coercively imposed on him if he doesn't coercively impose his atheism on the Christian. Again, this is what violence does or this is what the uh, concept of statism does to people in their everyday life. That's why I thought this book was so important to put together and make available for free. Yeah. You, you remind me of something that Michael Malice, um, a point that Michael Malice makes, which is that, and I think you talk about it. There's some essays in, in your book, I think that, that talk about this as well, but um, 
we don't realize how much we already exist in anarchic relationships, like how much of society is already anarchic. And, and again, it doesn't mean no rules. It means no rulers, right? Mm -hmm. So there's um, so much of what we do. And you, you mentioned, you know, one of the examples you gave was the difference between rape and <laughs> making love, right? So much of what we do relationships, you know, romantic relationships is an excellent example. There's no third party that mitigates the interaction romantically between us that makes sure that there's uh, fair distribution of sex uh, and sexual access uh, that makes sure that no one has a sexual monopoly uh, that makes sure that, you know, hot chicks are paying their fair share. Like there's no, <laughs> there's no ministry of sex that, I mean, who knows, maybe that's on the agenda I haven't seen, but there's no, there's no ministry of sex that manages that relationship. Uh, romance is anarchic uh, in, in relation, you know, we're in relationships only with each other. There's no third party and it's voluntary. Um, but that's what most of our life is like. Correct. Yeah. A lot of uh, things we do, it's just so uh, inefficient to involve the state that it's a default anarchic situation. So even two people who are statists, if they have a disagreement, well, going through the court system, calling a police officer, it's just not worth it. So instead, they engage in any sort of anti-state arbitration mechanism. They can have reputations. They could go on Yelp. They could complain on Facebook. They could gossip. So much of this, even though it's unreliable, well, the court system's unreliable. The cops are unreliable. Government's just as unreliable. I'm sorry, is way more unreliable than any other sector of the economy. So especially when it comes to things like PayPal or uh, things like quality assurance, we have places like Underwriters Laboratory who will give their stamp of approval. And not because uh, there's a state uh, coercively imposing things like this, because it's actually in the interests of the parties involved, consumers, producers, investors, intermediates, because they desire good products and services. So they will constantly look for third parties so they can cooperate in a way that's very efficient. So probably a good example would be this microphone was made by someone different than the person who made the Ethernet cable, than the people who give me the Internet access, than the people who made this Apple laptop. They are all competing together to achieve this end without there being someone above them coercively imposing uh, such an arrangement which is odd because actually now Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders want to have a new legislation where all chargers are mandatory, mandatorily uh, produced. I, I don't even want to promote serious? the idea. It's just, yeah, it's called, um, God, I, I just saw it on the TV. It's, it's something about universal charger uh, mandate. No, that's, um, it sounds like a Babylon B article. I know. Trust me. I wish. Sadly. <laughs> a lot does lately. A lot of things sound like Babylon B articles. There's no, there's, there's no way to, uh, to, to differentiate. Um, so uh, that's a perfect example of people who don't know anything about how tech is going to innovate in the future. And frankly, pardon the uh, negative you know, uh, uh, generalization after I said we shouldn't be generalizing people negatively. Uh, the that type of demographic, the old wealthy politician, they have they probably don't even know how the remote turns on the first the cable box and then the television. But that's probably right. they have to call their kid to charge their iPhone anyway. <laughs> probably. I, I, I mean, <laughs> and I probably should have even said that. But the point is, maybe they're the three most brilliant people in tech. They don't know what the future is going to hold. They don't know all the innovative uh, things that they're stopping from happening. 
But because they don't embrace this humility that comes with the mindset of voluntarism, you might really think, I really know what's best for Carter and Juliet should do this or that. Well, then you can persuade them. Then you can try to incentivize. But it's the humility of saying, but I'm not going to coercively impose it with the threat of putting people in jail if they resist. So it's all about persuasion. And it even makes you a better person because now you have the incentive, okay, I can't coerce Juliet or Carter into things, so I've really got to come up with some good reasons. I really got to have a better alternative. I really have to have an attractive offer on the table in order to get them to do what they want. And I have to create value in exchange to get their money or to get their time or to get their attention or something like that. So uh, reject anytime voluntarism is rejected, you're constantly getting worse quality in a society as a whole, even if government's involved in a very small way through things like subsidies, because instead of producers focusing on consumers much like the he who pays the piper calls the tune. If, if someone's paying you, that's who you're going to listen to, and that's who you're going to act in accordance with. So instead of producers focusing on consumers where they get their money and they focus on subsidies through the state, well, then they try to please politicians more than consumers, and everything is worse than it otherwise would be. We see this in healthcare, housing, and higher education, the three things the state is most uh, involved in, and the military, not to mention that. So in every area where we have more coercion and less voluntarism, all products and services are of a higher price and worse quality than they otherwise would be. We have every reason to, uh, to, to believe something like that. Yeah. You know, you're, you're reminding me also that there's no, there's no incentive for you to really uh, make sure that you're like, let's go back to your recommendation. Cause I know what Juliet should do with her life as well. So it's good that you both, <laughs> both of us know. And um, I, I was just playing it off. I'll, I'll send it in the chat right now. Hold on. Um, but you know, I think if you can force someone to do whatever it is, um, you, you actually don't have any pressure to make sure that what you're wanting them to do is correct. If you have to convince them, yeah. then there's pressure that like, well, there might be holes in your argument and you might have overlooked something and they might push back. And you, it really forces you to be actually more certain and more researched and um, actually make a better case and perhaps modify your recommendations and get closer to the truth because you're being challenged. Whereas if you're not being challenged at all, uh, you can just, well, you know, we're going to throw you in jail if you don't do what we want. So, you know. Yeah, the, the, the analogy, take the shot. I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, you didn't. Go ahead. The analogy I use in the book is just imagine a restaurant that got your money, whether or not they brought food to your table or whether or not uh, they <laughs> cooked, you know, uh, meals that were good. I mean, just imagine it's like I like to think that the customers in my sector, I like to think that I would still, you know, work like that. But the reality is, is like once or twice, if I got like, you know, someone who was unappreciative, I'd say, you know what, screw all these people. I'm going to do something else with my time. I mean, there's just no way that people are going to work as hard for others as they do for themselves. And people who disagree with that, <laughs> I just tell them, make sure to read my book and watch all 810 videos that I have at the Libertarian <laughs> Institute. And then when they say, well, that's not worth my time. I said, well, it's worth my time, so it should be worth yours. Okay, immediately, we're at a disagreement. You have a better claim to your time and your money, so you want other people to create quality. And some people think something is of quality and others it is not. 
my aunt wouldn't be caught dead at an Olive Garden, and I frankly like going there sometimes. So, uh, okay, therefore, we have different criterias, and we shouldn't be coercively imposing some preferences on everyone else, even if you think it's good. Because then even if it starts out good, the people who are later attracted to coercive funding are not the same people who come in originally, usually ambitious people willing to meet consumer demand. And then later, once it's just a gravy train of tons of money coming into Raytheon, Boeing, and Northrop Grumman, and there's no accountability for you know the people they murder and stuff, well, that's not going to be the same type of kind, uh, virtuous, ambitious person. So – Everything, it, this just poisons everything in our society to uh, an increasing degree to which uh, to, to which is practiced. I think we've all eaten at a uh, restaurant that you've described, and that's called the school cafeteria. <laughs> the school, that's, that is uh, probably uh, w- w- one of the, uh, the, the best examples. Yeah, it, it's important to uh, j- just have the standard uh, – that you have for yourself anytime that the state just monopolizes standards, well, then you're giving them way more power than they already have. So to say, well, what is the law or what is the code? It's important to sort of forget all of those codes and just say, so long as I'm acting peacefully, I can have any standards I want to. This alone is rather liberating because you're not seeking out the state as a monopoly on authority. Now you're increasing the likelihood of competing authorities and you're not having one monopolist, the state, calling all the shots in society. So that's one of the first things people can do to increase the amount of freedom. Just recognize that because you own yourself, no one's entitled to your time or your money. So you can have whatever standard you want that, uh, that, that you can justify. And what this does – so if monopolization – of a territory, uh, the ultimate world government, if that is the worst you know, violation of freedom, then anything in that opposite direction, the decentralization of power would be more competing sources of authority as opposed to a single monopolization run by Klaus Schwab, I'm guessing. I figured he'd be calling the shots either directly or indirectly. <laughs> I'm sure he'd put Trudeau uh, ahead of him because uh, he went to uh, the, the World Economic Forum school. Anytime you have competing authorities, you're already fighting the state. You're already fighting the uh, aggressors in society. So that's something that uh, people can do today. They don't have to say, well, maybe in 100 years we'll have something like that. Whenever you're dealing with PayPal or Amazon or eBay, we're in these anarchic relationships, in, uh, mostly in your social life. Your, your friends aren't entitled to your time. So if they're not really creating value, even family members, and I don't just mean like buying you stuff and entertaining you whenever you say something, but if people are disrespecting you, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had where people just feel like they're, they're chained to relationships. They're like, yeah, but I've always been this person's friend. And well, you can have standards and freely disassociate. People assume that if it's like, well, we have to do what the teacher says. You have to do what the officer says. Then you kind of don't have any wiggle room in your life. But if you realize you own yourself, then you, you're, it's okay for you to have competing standards. And that's why the state is just so horrible with saying they're the only ones that get to have standards. And you're real uppity if you try to have any standards of your own. But, of course, they could have every ridiculous standard in the book and cage you if you don't abide by it. So I, I got to end that rant or it's just going to go on forever. But you, you get the point there. Thank you. I do. There's a there's a question in chat. Sorry, Juliet, was I gonna 
I didn't want him to step on you. No, no. Ask? Go to that because I'm trying to think of how to phrase my question. <laughs> okay. Uh, there's a question in chat, which is, um, well, it's not a question. It's a statement. But I see this all the time. Um, and it is, I disagree that anarchy can exist for any reasonable period of time. Now, I assume if I could translate this, I assume what they mean is um, what will happen is it will decay into a might makes right. Genghis Khan will end up ruling us all. And and so that's why we need to have government. Can you address that? Yes. One, there's an article in here called The Power Vacuum Argument by Larkin Rose, and he does a much better job than I will, or else I just would have written it myself instead of citing him. <laughs> the reason that uh, power exists generally uh, in the state's case is, one, because of the military might that they have, and two, because people in general, the public has this recognition that the state has a right to do things they otherwise would not have a right to do, such as uh, coercively – uh, collect funds, such as engage in conscription in a lot of cases, and primarily they have a set of moral rules that applies to them and no one else. So these three make the existence of power uh, in a state's format or in aggressor format. You could, of course, have private aggressors. It makes – it gives – this aggressor way more power than they otherwise would if they were just seen as any other organization like Amazon or the Catholic Church. Even these places, because they're run for profit, as everyone else is technically, but they're seen with a much higher level of skepticism, and that's a great check and balance on the amount of power they have in society. So if you know the uh, White House was just privatized today, yes, there would be a big power vacuum. So it's not about – passing a law and you know make put just putting joe biden into a retirement home and then we would have anarchism what actually happens is people no longer recognize the legitimacy of this moral double standard and that's the big check and balance that stops such a power vacuum from occurring and of course in this case it's we're not uh, we are distinguishing social power things like joe rogan has a lot of power marshall mathers has a lot of power Dr. Oz on his show, The Doctors, or Dr. Drew has a lot of power and influence. That's not what we're talking about. This gentleman's uh, talking about uh, can't some people more or less enslave others. If there is no recognized right to rule among a population, just like people used to believe in Greek gods, now they don't. If this myth is finally dispelled and people no longer believe in the irrationality of moral double standards, that is the thing that's going to uh, end the state once and for all. So it's not like a thing that you end and then you have to tamp down. It's once a certain segment of the population no longer recognizes your unique right to rule, your unique right to collect taxes, your unique right to only have AR-15s in a certain geographical area. Well, then that is how those organizations stop from coming up because it's extremely costly to raise your own army and then rob each person individually. I mean, could you imagine if people didn't recognize if, if people saw uh, your organization as just any other group that wants money versus the IRS, there's people who actually believe they have an obligation to send money to the IRS. If people resisted, well, then the state couldn't enforce this. And I hate to use this analogy, but it comes to mind, uh, uh, this example, but it comes to mind. There was one person with a gun in Evalde, Texas, and 376 law enforcement officers 
stood down for more than 72 minutes. So if there were really people that saw government as the gang that it is, frankly, it would be like a couple people resisting because they recognize them just as they would anyone else. Well, then the state doesn't have the power to enforce it. That's that's what happened when one person had a firearm. Imagine if there were a ton of people who didn't necessarily use it, but they just said, you know what? We've seen what you guys did in Syria. We saw the civilians you killed in Afghanistan. We know the truth about Waco now. We know you're provoking a war with Putin by arming the Azov Battalion in uh, eastern Ukraine. We're not going to pay you guys anymore. And you know what? Now we're starting fresh. You guys don't have any more rights than anyone else. So – if you were, we're not just hating you randomly. We're just saying we're going to treat you the same way we treat anyone else from now on. That would be the ultimate way to defeat the state. It's about ending the myth that some people have more rights than others. So, yes, there's always going to be power. But the biggest um, incentive for such coercive uh, initiation of violence, of uh, such power to exist, is only because in the minds of the masses, people recognize such a thing. Once that myth ends, the state ends, and these organizations would have virtually no power, not any more than, you know, Tony Soprano had, which that's, that's a large improvement. I mean, curing cancer would not cure everything, but it would cure a heck of a lot. Yeah. There's something I find... This is going to sound horrible, but I don't care. There's something I find more honest about the mob than um, the government because the mob doesn't pretend to be doing this for your own good. Mm-hmm. They're just, it's just blatant, like, yep, I'm a thug. We're going to break your legs if you don't pay us. The end. It's like, all right, well, you're evil. Like, still evil. I got it. But, but almost honestly evil, like, well, you're upfront about it. You're not pretending to do this for my own good. You're not clo- you're not wearing like moral language and standing up and saying, you know, we have to make them pay their fair share and I'm about the little guy and blah blah. Like you're not you're not trying to use the public good to cloak your aggression. You're just you're just an aggressor. Uh so it's very it's very clear that when the mo- if the mob comes to your door, it's very clear that it's moral to resist them whether you can succeed or not is a separate issue, but it's very clear that, you know, there's a moral obligation. They're just thugs. Um, but there seems to be we've get, we've granted a moral obligation or a moral uh, status to to the state. And I think so long as the state has been not doing too much with it, most people don't seem to care. Like if the state I'm not a minarchist, but if the state is doing like minimal stuff like, OK, we're arresting murderers and catching thieves and whatever like most people like okay we'll grant you some moral authority there it's like we don't most people don't care too much but uh one thing that seems to be happening is it's getting to the it's getting so out of control to the point where i think a lot of people are starting to question what you're saying keith just saying like well why do i why do you have authority in the first place why are you different than tony soprano (laughs) like what is it that makes you different from tony soprano and like i at least thought you you know getting back to uvalde i at least thought you were there to protect kids when a madman with a gun showed up like you didn't even do that like what what are you there for just to make sure i pay my taxes yeah really well what's the refund on this social contract so so if i don't (laughs) pay i go to jail but if you don't provide the service you need more funding. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Sorry, yes, exactly. uh, I'm That's... sorry to even question that. Uh, 
So, um, it, yeah, that, uh, that that certainly is a main issue. It's a good point about how Ray Liotta in Goodfellas is kind of likable. Can't imagine Chuck Schumer being likable under any, yeah. under any circumstances. <laughs> Chuck yeah. Schumer, Barack Obama. I mean, the is likable as you get as Ken as uh, John F. Kennedy. May, maybe Tulsi Gabbard is uh, yep. is in that realm, but everyone else is just so fake and hateable at this point, and that's probably. Uh, the reason uh, that uh, the people like me are just so optimistic because as bad as it is, well, it's all about maintaining the lie. I mean, as bad as the lockdowns are, military conscription was way worse in the past. The reason yep. that they got away with it, though, is people didn't see it as a great transgression. They probably generally saw it as either a service or um, them being part of a great movement, a great narrative, or just the costs, uh, the benefits outweigh the costs. Look, I'll get some money. I'll be part of this great thing. Maybe I could embellish a story or two, or I'll really get some good stories. I'll get some great camaraderie. I'll come back with medals, and uh, I will serve my duty. <laughs> but when it comes to the First World War, I mean that even status historians, very few and far between, will say America needed to go in. There were 117,000 guys killed in that war after being conscripted by Woodrow Wilson's regime, not to mention all the ones that got their limbs blown off, guys getting half their face uh, blown off and their kids not even being able to recognize them when they came back. I mean, all that suffering, that is really terrible. So when they mention things like, oh, Donald Trump said drink bleach. Of course, he didn't say that. But some of, uh, but that's the claim. Uh, the things that really get uh, people pissed off are not necessarily the greatest moral outrages that the state has ever committed. So it's all about whether or not they recognize something as legitimate. And we need people, the Juliets of the world and Carters of the world, to be there showing people how totally unjust it is so they don't get totally outraged by the fake bleach story. Or I don't know if you know about the fine people hoax. That was the yes. same thing. Uh, all of these are extraordinarily trivial compared to. Or the Second World War, 405,000 guys getting uh, killed after they were conscripted. Just so many atrocities, not to mention all the women and children killed in the European theater and places like Pearl Harbor and Hiroshima. All of these atrocities, once they're exposed as uh, just not having a double standard, that's going to be the greatest decrease in uh, state power we could imagine. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. It's we're we're definitely at a point where people are starting to analyze this and not just believe what they've been told. I hear about it a lot from, you know, my friends, but um, I, I sit here and I think when you go back to what the constitution tried to do to restrict the state from getting like this and to uh, protect our rights from the get go and, they tried their best to prevent this exact thing from happening. I think it's just, you know, bad people. It, it took them a couple hundred years, but they got around the rules that were set in place. They, you know, they're creative. They'll find a way to get the power that they want. Um, it's just it's interesting. Cause I think if you go back to the country as it was founded, it was a lot more voluntary. I mean, you had true individual rights. If it was your property, there wasn't somebody coming and checking code laws and telling you you can't put a shed there. You know, it was, it was truly like you had rights and nobody was looking over your shoulder all the time. 
and you fast forward to now and literally like most like where I live, you can't even put a fence up in your own yard on your own property without getting a permit. Yeah, the the amount of power is just uh, amazing. And you can see what happens once you grant one group a monopoly on violence. It's extremely hard to limit them. Uh, in here, I have a chapter titled The Reluctant Anarchist. This was written by Joe Sobrin who was the senior editor of National Review, the major conservative publication, mm -hmm. who later said that you know he is in, on the Bollinger's team. Now, he did this by first meeting uh, an economist at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, Murray Rothbard, and then one of Rothbard's uh, co-workers, Hans Hermann Hoppe. He says that he was convinced of our side when it, you know he was a uh, constitutionalist, that th this was this document was such an improvement, even though, of course, uh, you had terrible things uh, like slavery at the time because it was well understood that that had existed since ancient Samaria for 2000 years. It, that was saying, well, uh, all else equal, the Constitution is a great document moving forward in the right direction, as was the Declaration of Independence. But what Sobrand comes to, his conclusion, is that uh, what does the First Amendment mean when it says Congress shall make no law restricting freedom of the press? Does that mean that you can share secrets in wartime? Does that mean you can threaten politicians, either initiate uh, a threat or just call for using defense against them? Or what about things like abortion or gun rights? The Supreme Court, if we really had this objective law that everyone clearly knew what it is, certainly nine members of the Supreme Court would always agree on what the law actually said. But what Sobern says is that it's actually there's there is no objective law. All it is is the interpretation of a group that already has a monopoly on this authority. So the example that Walter Williams uses is imagine you're playing poker. You might win or lose, you know, some of your money, but you know the rules. Well, now imagine that you're playing Walter Williams poker and I have a monopoly on the rules. I can change them and interpret them any way I'd like. We've had two Supreme Courts, one that says you have a guaranteed right to abortion and the other that says you don't even though it was a split decision the majority decides in that case so that is an example of saying we don't have this constitution that's objective no contract you have is objective so the best you can hope for is having the ultimate check and balance which is the freedom to disassociate with bad actors and to stop funding certain people so while the goal is absolutely great and it's important for people to have good contracts in their work life, in their marriage life, I hear divorce courts hell on earth. So maybe those contracts uh, should certainly be uh, brought into the voluntary sector. So there's more of an incentive for both parties to enter and exit on, uh, uh, on better terms. So once you give one group a monopoly on a right, well, then they could interpret things any way they want. The famous case is Franklin Roosevelt, that interstate commerce to make uh, to regulate or make regular commerce between the states. Uh, it was interpreted in such a way that meant someone couldn't grow food on their own property because that would increase the supply of goods in this area, which would decrease the amount of uh, goods bought between states. So therefore, regulating interstate commerce meant someone growing food on their own lawn could be confiscated uh, through the Agricultural Adjustment Act, written by a professor, a guy named John Black. So, uh, yeah, once they get a monopoly on interpretation, they could interpret it to mean anything. The right to, uh, you know, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, even th the law that says murder is illegal. Well, certainly 
the ones who were caught committing murder, the soldiers caught committing murder on the collateral murder video that Julian Assange and Chelsea Manning brought forward, well, then those guys should be in jail, obviously. Or Joe Biden should be in jail for murdering civilians in Afghanistan uh, right after the exit. Uh, they lied and said, oh, yeah, we got the target. And it turns out it was a bunch of civilians, of course, or the civilians in Yemen. I thought murder was against the law. In every society, we're going to have shortcomings. The voluntary society is better than all others, I believe, because it just doesn't have this double standard where there's always going to be corruption under voluntarism. You can disassociate from the corrupt people. There's always going to be murderers and thieves, but voluntarism, this system would not allow those people to get hold of a state and now not be held accountable for any of their crimes. That's why uh, I think uh, that reading uh, this book is so important just because it plants the seed in uh, people's minds about having a principled criticism of the state it's not that well bush was really bad and we have to go back to the clinton era even you know clinton who has a really good rap was uh in charge of a starvation blockade which didn't kill saddam hussein in iraq after the first gulf war saddam hussein was well fed fidel castro was fine milosevic was also fine but the civilians suffered and because the media was just in his pocket, they didn't re report on that. Even the Lewinsky story, they, they lied about that for a while until it came out. So even your favorite person is going to be a terrible politician, sadly, because no, no one could be trusted with such power any more than, you know, the nicest person you know could, um, could have a right to kidnap people for the sake of their own good. I'm sure a lot of people, if they were kidnapped, could be more economically productive and raise GDP, but we still should recognize the right of people to determine what happens in their own life and recognize we have a duty to persuade people to achieve our ends uh, so we could cooperate that way instead of a uh, coercive way. I'm going to I'm going to bring up a question that um, so, man, there's a lot in what you just said and one of the things that is a uh, something that I often argue is um, as important as politics might be as important as, is, you know, what's written down on a piece of paper, like the constitution. <laughs> it's great. It's important. Um, our culture and our shared belief system and our philosophy about this is more important. It's what controls at the end of the day. And so, um, you know, the interstate commerce clause is a good example that you used. Like if people desire to have the federal government get its hands into something, they'll use butterfly effect arguments to be like, well, you know, the butterfly flaps its wings over here and therefore we need to control the price, price of corn in Iowa. It's like, all right, well, I mean, that's that you can make that argument if you want to if you want to do that, you can do that about anything. Uh, if they have any power at all and they want to use it, there can be a tenuous chain of argumentation that they can use to, to rationalize why they should do the thing they want to do. And so to, to me, it's like that, that, that culture and that philosophy needs to be there and firmly ensconced in society. Um, and one of the things that, uh, you know, kind of is sad is we've, we've replaced morals with this. Uh, we, we, we pretend that because, a bunch of people vote for something or because someone is in office that gives them some sort of moral authority to do what they're doing. Um, and which, you know, therefore, you know, if, if Bill Gates was doing it, we'd all hate him, but 
because Nancy Pelosi, well, I mean, maybe she's a bad example. Everyone hates her anyway, but, uh, you know, because someone else who was elected is doing it, like suddenly it's fine. Um, I, my, my question to you is, let's assume that we're in agreement on the end goal of, uh, hey, we should have a voluntary society. Is it realistic to say, hey, tomorrow we need to end all government coercion? Or is this a is there a path that takes generations or longer, right, to, to get to the place? Is this like a is it a slow decay into less and less government until we have none? Or is it like, hey, tomorrow we should all wake up and kick these guys out and have anarchy? Uh, it would have to be more of a, uh, a a slow decay, I think, even though I would uh, support uh, pressing a button to end the state just because, <laughs> I mean, uh, w- would you have done that, uh, you know, before uh, Woodrow Wilson or uh, Franklin Roosevelt <laughs> or Lyndon Johnson? Well, certainly, because you never know what they're going to be up to. I mean, right now we have a government that is intentionally moving NATO borders up to Russia's uh, 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 up to uh, places that ha- were either uh, historically white Russia or little Russia or Estonia or Latvia, knowing that just like the Cuban Missile Crisis was Russia putting nukes in Cuba too close to America, well, they knew that this would provoke a response. So it's so dangerous. The cost is so high that I would be willing to press a button, but one doesn't exist, so well, whatever. That's just more of a philosophical thing. I'm totally open to being wrong about that aspect of things. It is gradual. And I think the best thing we could do is, first of all, have our own competing standards. This way, we're not saying, well, ooh, I don't have any. Carter doesn't have any. Juliet doesn't have it. Okay, well, what does the law say about this? The second we say that, it's like, well, then the state's the only arbiter. And then we can't uh, have any competing uh, ideas of ourselves. And we look to them as the great monopolist to which we should worship. And without them, oh, gosh, so, well, there would just be chaos among the three of us. Well, does it ever occur to you that uh, the, the there is maybe, chaos among the three of us? Clearly, <laughs> right. there, there is um, that government is the primary cause of chaos with all the wars and all the genocides and all the kidnapping people, victimless crimes. And governments are in a state of anarchy between each other because there is not that one world government run by Justin Trudeau, which I alluded to earlier. Yes. So Brazil yes. and Argentina and Ukraine and Australia are in a state of anarchy. So any criticism that, well, what if uh, this group gets too powerful and oppresses people? Well, that same thing applies to world government or state government or county government or, or anything else. It applies much more to them than any voluntarily funded institution. So the main thing is decreasing the amount of state power uh, through decentralization. So anything that operates outside of a state apparatus, anytime you have a private arbiter, anytime you enforce contracts by you raising your voice and getting stern with someone when you've been mistreated instead of, oh, I need to call the police, that is a move in the direction of a voluntary society because it's one less uh, extension of the state's legitimacy. There's a great show on YouTube called Cartnarks, and it's anyone who doesn't put their cart away at the grocery store. They'll walk up to that person and say, that's not where the carts go. You put the carts right there. Yes, the employees. Yeah, the employees are hired to do it. They're also hired to clean the the inside of the store. Do you spit on the ground there? No, no, no. no, 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 no
And when these people are held accountable just a little bit, they go, who are you? I'm calling the cops if you don't leave me alone. It is the most cowardly thing. I had to unsubscribe because it was like raising my uh, blood pressure too much because <laughs> almost every person threatened to call the cops. Now, once you say uh, you believe in delegating decision making to someone who you don't even know just because they're part of some group you're not really familiar with. So th the more people rely on themselves to just say something like, oh, I'm ignoring you or screw you or, well, maybe I should have done that. What? What you're doing at that point is you're increasing the amount of competitors the state has with its authority, even if it's just the president telling you this group is bad and that group is good. Saying screw the president, I like these people, I'm going to associate with them, that is one little chip away at the statue of statism. And over time, it'll be seen just as Greek gods uh, are seen today. Oh, interesting things that are completely unworthy of obedience – but it's still interesting kind of to study these uh, th these artifacts. So, uh, yes, I do believe it's gradual, and I do believe it will occur the more that people disassociate with the state, either for moral reasons or because it's just not as efficient. It Just because maybe their uh, purchasing power of the dollar is decreased and more and more people are accepting cryptocurrencies, which are harder to tax, the idea that it's impossible – I think we just don't know. For for all we know, they could get around anything. They could put the brain plant chip in that Elon Musk has talked about. I have no clue what, uh, what what's on the horizon. But certainly, uh, anytime people operate outside of the state and engage in things like agorism, then they're less reliant on having this third party involved in these voluntary exchanges. And I think that is uh, the, the only way to delegitimize it in people's minds and to uh, operate economically without them. So we're both creating the efficiency and the, uh, the the argument that people can have in their head. Because if they just feel totally tricked by this organization of, hey, I thought you guys were the ones keeping us safe, yet it turns out the reason we were attacked on 9-11, assuming the official story is true, is actually because the U.S. had sanctions on Iraq, which were killing civilians, and they had bases in Saudi Arabia, and they teamed up with Israel to commit atrocities against the Palestinians. Not they hate us because we're free. People, once the people that I know who have figured things like that out, one of a hundred lies that the state tells. Pearl Harbor's another one. Document called the McCullen Memo uh, exposes uh, how uh, there was an intentional uh, attempt to increase uh, sanctions on Japan, provoking them into making the first move at Pearl Harbor which wasn't even a state. It was just a colony. It wasn't a state until the 50s. This way, Roosevelt could justify entrance into the war, which he promised Churchill in Newfoundland like a year later. Once people realize that these main narratives are total lies, they'll be so insulted. It, they will hate the state with every fiber of their being. And we just need a small portion of those people to really move because everyone else will say, oh, what flag are we waving today? What's the big thing to say? Oh, OK, then then I'll go with that. That's not a, um, that's not to bash the average person. I don't know how vitally important things like food or houses are made. I just delegate that to other people. But it's sort of, you know, people in our sphere who need to be unapologetically telling the truth the way it is. And people will say, oh, that's horrible. They suffocated a guy, Tony Timpa, to death. Uh, and it's all on camera, and I haven't seen this, and four of those five cops are still working on the force, and the other one just retired. None of them are in jail. Well, these are a bunch of bastards. Screw them. I really don't want my money going to these people. 
And, you know, your friend's saying, God, you don't pay money to the IRS, do you? God, bunch of crooks. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> teaming up with al-Qaeda, LIFGs, the al-Qaeda outlet in Libya, Libyan Islamic Fighting Group. You fund those people? Oh, sc screw you. Screw you. It, just yeah. eventually, once you start going through that, people will hate the state so much on their own. Our work will be done for us. It's funny because it's illegal to fund terrorist organizations, obviously, but uh, but you're required to pay your taxes, which is used to fund terrorist organizations, depending on the, the mood of the CIA. It uh, depends, depends, depends which one they fund. But yes. Yeah. Well, one day Rumsfeld is shaking hands with Saddam, helping him fight the Iranians while they're uh, selling weapons to the Iranians in the Iran Contra uh, weapons affair. And then Saddam Hussein is Hitler 2.0. A few years later, yeah. we got a bomb and sanction and then invade. And doesn't matter how many civilians uh, we have to kill in the meantime, we are the righteous cause. But once these lies are totally exposed, George Bush was on, he was giving a State of the Union address. And he's like, uh, we know that uh, yellow cake has come from Niger into Iraq to build uranium. And then Valerie Plame's husband is watching this and he just writes an article called What I F uh, Didn't Find in Africa. He goes, the president just lied to everyone. Does anyone care about this? Dick Cheney said Mohammed Atta uh, had a meeting with Iraqi intelligence in Prague or Portugal. That was a complete lie. But once people feel like they've been so screwed by this, I think it'll be impossible to stop them because it'll be so insulting to the average person that they've been scammed just because the evidence is so overwhelming, not because everyone's always searching for the truth. But when you come across examples like this that just plant the seed and people see one example, then another, then another, they just learn to hate this thing that has, you know, uh, mistreated them or not the thing, the individuals involved have chosen to make these decisions that are just so evil that that's going to have to be the fastest route to uh, abolishing the state. Because first they'll be insulted and then they'll use our logical arguments to justify, uh, you know, what, why they uh, hate it so much. The, I like the idea of just, just, I'll, <laughs> I'll be honest. I, I like the idea of a of focusing first uh, of a decentralization approach. So um, instead of saying like I don't, instead of fighting with your local government right now, like fights to have your state have more control than the federal government. When you get the federal government out, then fight within your state to have counties have more control than the state. And when you get that, then you can like fight for individuals to have more control. Like you you fight your way down to the individual. Um, but a counter argument here. Uh, in chat, Greg the Baritone says, you're never going to slowly remove this government. It's inherent, I, and I think this could be applied to any government, his argument. Uh, its inherent function is to slowly acquire power and grow. That's its primary function. Uh, I think that is true about it. What do you say to that? Yeah, that uh, that, that is the inherent function. That's that's why, you know, decentralization is so uh, so so important is is there something i'm missing uh, but we agree that uh, that these parasites that they live by expanding and committing atrocities that justify further expansion so yeah that that is what happens and that's why you know we're telling people you know that this is how your cancer spreading and this is what you need to take in order to decrease the spread <laughs> Uh, I, right. I mean, I, I hope we're doing that. I have a chapter in here uh, titled Agorism, which is uh, Samuel Konkin's methodology of people actually trading outside of the state, which means the state just therefore has uh, less things that it can keep its eye on. And there's this constant innovative sector that people are really relying on and they like it a lot. So when they really like something and the state then 
uh, comes and regulates it, violently imposes their will on peaceful people, regulates it, well, then they see it as such an affront that they'll most likely want to defend it either themselves or delegate voluntary security guards to resist state aggressors. And that's how you can uh, do the same thing through a different method, not just philosophical reasoning or telling people about the latest atrocity or passing a recent law. Anything that moves things away from the monopolization of power and towards the decentralization, uh, I think, is, uh, is important. And again, decentralization of uh, – I shouldn't have said power. Decentralization of aggression just means that aggressive component is what's decentralized. It doesn't mean now the people in Arizona, just they just have to be to themselves. They can't be trading with people anywhere else. It means you can tr still trade with anyone. It still means you can have internet connections. You can still call. You can still have flights. You just wouldn't have the same ruler just as we can have planes go – between Mexico, Canada, America, to you know uh, Poland, we can still have these exchanges without there being a central coercive authority. That's all we're criticizing here. We're not saying mm. every man for himself, people shouldn't trade. No, people should absolutely trade. And the more they trade in goods and ideas, the more they'll see the state for the parasite that it is. Let's... I, I want to bring I want to bring this into the current news because something that you're we're, we're talking about we're talking about decentralization and we're talking about how to move away from having a more and more powerful government maybe to I don't know fight the cancer with some radiation or chemo or whatever whatever analogy you want to use um, let's talk about the Inflation Reduction Act which oddly uh, I don't think reduces inflation hey. Uh, the Inflation Reduction Act was just passed. Uh, I expect Biden to sign it. And part of this is funding for the IRS. They will double in size, roughly. Um, and the IRS will employ another 87,000 agents. Um, now, I re I'm old enough to remember, and I haven't heard this a lot, although we did hear it with Trump a little bit. I'm old enough to remember people getting criticized for not paying their taxes. Oh, wait, wait, this politician's running. This person's running. Are they paying their taxes? You know, that Their tax record being very important. Uh, I Maybe I've changed, but I'm, I'm hoping maybe there's been a shift in, in culture generally. But I would prefer to have someone who's not paying their taxes. Um, mm -hmm. How do you... Uh, like, is it realistic to bleed through not paying taxes? I mean, agorism is a legal, well, I don't know how much of it's legal, but there are legal ways to not pay your taxes. And there, are, of course, there's things like agorism where you're under the radar. Is that going to be enough? I mean, is it enough to bleed the IRS or will they just print more money when they need it and it doesn't matter? Well, yeah, they can uh, they can always print more and God knows what that'll do to, you know, people's savings. And that's just a travesty. But that's all the more reason to diversify your portfolio with both fiat and stock fiat and maybe a cryptocurrency, maybe gold, maybe silver. This uh, this specifically telling people what to invest in. I just don't know enough. I mean, I've uh, right. I've tried to uh, learn it for myself and I think I have a good portfolio overall. But it's not. I'm not confident enough to say to start recommending things. People can check out an author in this book. Uh, his name is Clint Russell. Um, he talks, He's been on uh, the show before, actually, Clint. I think. 
Yeah. Okay, so yeah, uh, Clint's very good with uh, f financial knowledge and how people can, uh, you know, pr uh, hedge against uh, any uh, state influence on the money supply. But this is, you know, a classic example of what happens when, just as a monopoly on cell phones would be bad, the state monopolizing a currency makes it much worse than it would be under competitive conditions. As far as um, the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, I mean, please, you can't even get the government to define inflation or recession, and people still think that the state is the way to go. Uh, I can't imagine that so, so many people hated Trump and so many people hate Biden. They said Trump's not a legitimate president. He was installed by the Russians. Others uh, say, well, Biden, according to the 2000 Mules documentary by Dinesh D'Souza, Biden didn't even win the election. He's legitimate. So this might be the biggest move towards getting people to say, screw it, I'm not filing. Now, that seems like a pretty insecure regime where in the midst of, you know, all this inflation, they're like, we should hire 87,000 IRS agents. Yes. That is not a secure regime that's like, oh, we got power. We're, we're totally calling the shots here. Um, now, a destable regime doesn't necessarily mean voluntarism will take its place. That's why I'm not just cheering for break the system down. I think you have to be an idiot to not realize the amount of suffering that that would cause because whatever would take its place, so long as people still believe in statism, I think would be just as bad. But no, the IRS would not be able to enforce, you know, 10% of Americans just choosing not to pay. Screw you. We're going to trade without you. And in response to that, they might get ever more nasty. That's why we need to encourage people like Agoras who, and entrepreneurs who are providing alternatives so it could sort of soften the blow of uh, what's going to happen. Because whether there's a state or no state um, in response to what's going to happen, well, there was a state in Germany when they had hyperinflation in the 20s. There was a state in Zimbabwe. Of course, the states are the cause of all this atrocity. Um, there was a state in Zimbabwe uh, when they had uh, the, their uh, terrible afflictions. There was a state in Nanking where the Japanese killed like 300,000 people. So uh, all of these terrible uh, catastrophes are going to exist. The question is, are you going to look to the state? You know, the, the pe I can't imagine people saying, you know, Biden's really got my back. It's weak when when places like the Atlantic say, oh, Biden uh, is you know better than ever. And we can't wait for him to run in 2024. It gets laughed at by Democrats and progressives now. Right. There's still some neoliberals who are in there. And even when people are like, Trump's going to run again, there's still a lot of Republicans, uh, people like David Cole and Ann Coulter. And mm, I don't know where Alex Jones is, but people like David Cole and Ann Coulter and Stefan Molyneux, who were really big in getting Trump elected, are just sick of Trump. They're like, my God, we couldn't get the basic wall that he promised us. Uh, we couldn't uh, – he wouldn't even defend the January 6th people while the left has no problem defending the BLM rioters. Trump raised like hundreds of millions for the uh, recall. None of it went to that. It all uh, ended up in his pocket. So people are just so demoralized by this horrible um, list of uh, characters that uh, Republicans and Democrats have given us that they might not really see an allegiance, not on principle, but they'll just see the practicality of it of, oh, screw them, I'm not paying this year. And I can't imagine how the IRS would enforce that if 5 or 10% of Americans just didn't do it. Are the IRS agents, even if they're willing to sort of go to your door and push you a little, are they going to risk their life for this regime? I mean, I, I certainly know I wouldn't. When people are well, like, they well, might, if all they need to do is make a, a point. They need to take a couple people, right? So they take you, me, and Juliet, and they may set examples 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, we go to jail or get shot by, I don't know, do they have SWAT teams? There's probably IRS SWAT team agents. Who knows? I'd be uh, shocked if there get, wasn't. Yeah. Maybe they get, yeah, whatever. <laughs> they they come in, they, they confiscate your Bitcoin, whatever. Um, Alex of All Trades is asking, what do you think of the recent sanction against Tornado Cash? Did you hear about this? Don't even know what Tornado Cash is. Uh, I'm still researching so I could get a good understanding of uh, crypto and blockchain. I had Jeremy Kaufman on my show like a year ago to explain Odyssey to me. I I find it really interesting, but I don't know enough about Tornado Cash. Sorry. But that's a good thing. There's so many competing currencies. I don't even know about them. Hopefully one will flourish and take the dollar place uh, if the crash comes, which, like I said, I'm not rooting for, but seems like that would be a likely outcome. Yeah, Tornado Cash is one of these privacy coins, which is intended to obfuscate the sender and receiver in some way, so that you can't. Because right now on Bitcoin, you can you can track. You know, I send you a Bitcoin, assuming you know my Bitcoin address and who it belongs to, which you might if I connect it to the real world in any way. You can kind of track that transaction through uh, and see see where, uh, you know, mm. what wallet money was sent to and where and where it went. And um, stuff like uh, Tornado Cash, and I guess uh, uh, there's there's a few there's a few others. Uh, what's the Moreno? Is that the other one? I forget the name of it. Uh, that they they're designed to uh, Monero. They're designed to kind of obfuscate that a little bit, so you can't see. And this apparently just I mean I'm just looking at an article right now, which I didn't realize the Treasury uh, blacklisted it and says if you trade in it. You could face criminal penalties um, if you if you interact with Tornado Cash or any of the Ethereum wallet addresses tied to the protocol. You could face criminal penalties. So, so there, I think that the cryptocurrency is interesting here in 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 the sense that for many other industries, something came along. The government wasn't prepared to regulate it, and it took off and the government stepped in to regulate it and people kind of accepted that regulation. Cryptocurrency is, is an interesting example where half the people have accepted the regulation. Some of the big players are like, yeah, come regulate us. We want to be in the old boys club and maybe we can be, you know, I'm sure that, uh, uh, you know, some of the major exchanges wish that they were on the, the federal reserve board, right? Like they want to be invited to the the cocktail parties with, chairman of the fed and and they want to be you know in wall street and and do all that but there's a large percentage of the crypto community that's just kind of given the government the the finger and said you know what that's not why we started this this is like we're we have no intention of being uh regulated and screw you we're going to invent ways to get around your regulations constantly uh so i i guess we could look at that as a sign of hope yeah certainly uh, anytime people are, uh, you know, w- working around uh, the coercive psychopaths in the world, state or non-state, I totally support it, and uh, and that's why it's important for us to at least uh, be backed up on places like Odyssey and watch videos there. This way, it could be more popular, and therefore, it would give YouTube a little less power, and it would incentivize content creators to go there. We can at least have a Bitcoin wallet and, you know, give people a fraction just so we at least have some skin in the game uh, when it comes to uh, using decentralized alternatives. I totally agree. Yep. And uh, y- you're right about the, uh, the the show of force thing, but shows of force backfire. The biggest show of force was called uh, in uh, my lifetime, rather, 
was uh, Operation Showtime, which was going into the Branch Davidian Church and taking out these kids and claiming that they were rescuing them from a violent, abusive cult. However, the ATF was doing this, and the Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms Bureau does not have jurisdiction when it comes to child abuse, so they first faked a gun charge. Now, this backfired on them, literally. The people just saw them as the kidnappers that they were and started resisting, and it led to a terrible outcome. Now, uh, a lot of people who break the law sometimes get killed, but a lot of people who follow the law also get killed, so you're not exactly owning the people who got murdered when you say look how it turned out for them i'd much rather be them than uh and have that be my legacy than the idiot order order followers who uh just uh, like to live life in accordance with everything janet yellen and kamala harris say so when it comes to that yes you can have terrible shows of force but that also exposes the state for such a terrible legitimate uh for such illegitimacy in the back of a recent pamphlet that the FBI was passing out warning about violent militia extremist groups, they said the two, or, uh, the two issues that these organizations mention are Ruby Ridge and Waco. And those were two big shows of force. Of course, uh, the, at Ruby Ridge, uh, they uh, sold Randy Weaver a shotgun that was sawn off by a quarter of an inch. Just some pathetic technicality. Once people find out about that, they're like, this is just a group of criminals. So mm -hmm. those two things – have, uh, you know, so it would be like 76 deaths in Waco and Vicki Weaver getting shot and killed, Randy Weaver's. So it's like se those 78 deaths have done more to delegitimize the state than the 60 million deaths of the Second World War, which was all between governments. So, yes, there could be shows of force and, and people can risk their lives if they want, just as members of the military uh, risk their lives by the thousands to fight wars based on lies, maybe people would risk their life for something that's based uh, uh, based in truth and an actual thing worth uh, worth fighting for. But we have to be able to support these people, both financially and emotionally uh, support them, because that's uh, what creates the incentive. That's what helps build the character and the courage to do so. I'm not saying anyone should sacrifice themselves, especially when you have a population that likes to sort of follow orders, uh, m more or less. But uh, but we have to appreciate the people willing to stand up and not see them as, oh, gosh, you're one of those cop disobeyers. How dare you? Can't we just go along to get along? And if you don't like it, work through the system. That is all terrible. And once you just give people the emotional support, that just changes everything. So, um, so yeah, that is uh, the, the best I have on people using alternatives and potential shows of force in this area. But you're right, because that is uh, certainly the method of, of how they do it, because it's impossible to catch everyone if everyone resists. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're, we're – like you said, it's a, you know, the 87,000 IRS agents is a desperate measure, right? It's a, it's a desperate it, – it's a, it's a show that they're, they're – they're worried about power slipping through their fingers and they need to make sure that they, they are clamping down. They're worried about what you've, you've said. And I want to share before we go to some of these super chats, I want to share something here. Um, this is what you're referring to. This is, this is part of what you're referring to. This is a leaked document from the FBI. And this, to me, this shows that the FBI is particularly worried uh, about the attitudes that you're talking about, these are mm -hmm. now they do say the use or sharing of these symbols alone should not independently be considered evidence of MVE. MVE stands for militia, violent extremists. That's their they, like, they have to acronym everything. So they're 
they have to find the MVEs. Uh, but these are these could be MVE symbols. And so uh, some of them are stuff you might expect, like Boogaloo, okay. Uh, the Punisher Skull, 2A, just talking about the Second Amendment, apparently. <laughs> Founding principles are violent and extreme. Exactly. Yeah. The electrical resistance symbol, apparently. I didn't know. I'm, I'm a double E. I didn't know that resistors were were a symbol. And this is this one you'll love. <laughs> apparently, being an ANCAP is uh, <laughs> that's a problem. You can't notice, by the way, I want to show I want to point out that the yellow and black flag, which is the anarcho capitalist flag, is the only anarchist symbol listed here. There's a red and black one, which is the the um, what the, the what is it communist and anarcho com and com flag, which I don't I think is a contradiction, but nevertheless they exist. The There's a bunch flag. of different variants of this, yeah. right? Only mm-hmm. the the capitalist one is the problem. Warrior culture, uh, Malone the Bay, which I guess makes sense on a black flag. So all these are symbols, including and then we go down here commonly referenced historical imagery, the Gadsden flag. The Revolutionary, Revolutionary War imagery, the Liberty Tree, and the Betsy Ross flag. So these are all these are all signs. And by the way, to me, this reads as I, I look at this and and this is not a list of signs of violent militia groups. This is a list of the enemies of the state, which says a lot about where the state's going, right? And and if the state was what many conservatives think it is when they, they have, they, they hearken back to like, well, the declaration of independence says this and the constitution is this and the America is great. If, if America was the America of yesteryear, these things would be the allies. These would be the FBI would be like, these are our buddies that we can rely on. If there's problems, yeah. these are our, these are our, cause they're on the same side, mm-hmm. but instead these are the enemies, which means the state is not, the, the state are not allies of the principles that the United States was founded upon. The state is, are the, is the enemy of the principles that the United States was founded upon. And that's really important to remember. And as you mentioned, significant events that people may reference, <laughs> Ruby Ridge, Ruby Ridge and Waco. Gee, I, I wonder why. <laughs> why? No reason. Why, why are those the events? Let's not, you know what? If the FBI wants to understand this better, maybe understand what you did at Ruby Ridge and Waco. Maybe that's that's something that I, I would encourage anyone at the FBI to do. Maybe understand your role. Uh, yeah, well, uh, look, look at how p- pathetic it is that uh, for, for them to even make a list like that. They're in constant search of enemies to fight. I mean, look at how yeah. much they've made the Proud Boys out to be this terrible, violent extremist organization. <laughs> that's like Gavin McGinnis's comedy group that he made right. with a few guys. I mean, this is what really threatens them. It's a totally insecure regime. And when, you know, you see people like AOC crying on camera talking about January 6th, I actually think that that's real. They literally see themselves as the owners of other human beings. And for those human beings who live to serve them, for them to resist, that is the ultimate act of violence and betrayal and something that needs to be talked about round the clock for the next years. And we need major hearings and people need to be put in solitary confinement because uh, that's uh, a big indicator that people just 
uh, are not uh, in support of the current regime. Just as in Zelensky's regime, it's a pretty big indicator that he has to use conscription to get people to resist the Russians. Maybe they would prefer that government to yours, and you want to force them with the threat of killing them uh, if they don't want to fight for you? <laughs> well, maybe. Uh, hey, he's just not that into you. We need that. We need to make. We need to update that he's just not that into you. Uh, sort of phrase to to start applying to governments. Ah, uh, dude, she she's just not into it, man. She doesn't want to chip in. Goodbye, IRS. Uh, you guys haven't done a We're good just job not this that year. Ju- Juliet's yeah. opting out. Okay, take care. B- better luck next year. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um. Let me do those couple super chats. Uh, one was from Judge Lot, who also achieved. He unlocked some sticker sticker status that he says it means he's ultra based. I don't know what the sticker means, but <laughs> congratulations, Beverly. He says Beverly has never seen Fight Club. Carter, I hope you're not planning on letting this go unpunished. Uh, well, uh, contrary to what you guys are saying in chat, this is actually a voluntary organization, so I can punish her only to the extent that she allows herself to be punished, and then <laughs> she can just quit. So. Uh, I I can ask her to watch it though, which I'll do if you want. Um, and Judge Lot again says, "What are your thoughts on the U.S. government's plan to spend a buttload of money to combat inflation?" Um, <laughs> well, that's Keynesianism. <laughs> yeah, uh, I guess uh, snorting cocaine to stop your drug addiction is uh, what someone who's just really wanting to use drugs would say. So people that just want more money, more power, they want to secure more friendships and increase their social status. Look at this bill that I passed. I helped fund the following XYZ. No, you just advocated stealing it. That makes you worse. Um, Their plan is uh, to not have a plan and increase their power while lying about having a plan. So they they just do what they want and then later uh, make uh, the justifications. Now, granted, a lot of people do this. It's commonly referred to as the elephant in the brain. People will often decide, Mm -hmm. all right, I want to do this thing but I'm going to fabricate some socially accepted uh, way of saying this. Uh, hey, I'd like to help out your business and do X, Y, Z. No, but you want the money. Well, and the business wants your help. But you sort of just uh, have these things that you passively uh, say this way. You're not explicitly saying your base motive. Well, when government does it, it's not. it doesn't only exist in the way it does with the average person. It's always the opposite of what they're doing. So when they say, yeah, we're, we're fighting a war on terrorism – and then they kill a bunch of civilians in Syria and Iraq. Well, then a guy named Omar Mateen hears about this, is inspired to go murder a bunch of people at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando. And then the government lies and said, oh, it was about homophobia. Donald Trump said this. Hillary Clinton said this. Barack Obama said this. Even though Omar Mateen is on the phone with the FBI saying America needs to get out of Syria. They're conspiring with the Russians. They're murdering women and children in there. Hangs up and calls back. Tell the government to stop the bombs. The U.S. has to stop killing these people. He says this five times, and people are like, hmm, he just hates the gays, certainly. That, that, <laughs> that, uh, that, that must be it. When the original plan was for him to go to Disneyland, but he had, uh, th- there was too much uh, security at the time. It was all found on his phone through, uh, th- through trials and investigations. Um, it, everything was blowback. So, yeah, this is just a constant lie. So what are my thoughts on it? It's a scam. It's going to make it worse considering inflation's an increase in the money supply, not an increase in prices. The increase in prices is the result of the money. 
that's uh, printed. So it's immoral and it's not going to work. And I hate them now more than ever. It increases every day. <laughs> Can't give much more on uh, my, my response to that. It's uh, It reminds me of that Simpson clip where Bart's like, this is the worst day of your life. And, and Homer says, the worst day of your life so far. This is it's the worst. Yeah, well, this is the worst the government's ever been so far. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. They're like, oh, they're provoking uh, nuclear exchanges with Russia. Why doesn't Secretary Blanken meet with Sergei Lavrov? Well, they're also provoking nuclear war with China over Taiwan. Don't just give them credit in one geographical area. And don't forget, we might have to go uh, to war with Iran, who's allies with Russia. Oh, God. Like, uh, I hate you bastards more every day. <laughs> well, you know, don't guys, worry though. But, Go ahead, but Julia. Nothing uh, slows a inflation recession cycle down quite like wartime economy. So they can just print well, as much money as they want and then go to war with China, and we'll all still suffer. But you know, their books will be okay. Oh, of course, yeah. That <laughs> uh, they uh, th- they get to. Uh, and that's a great thing about the market is you can't benefit unless you create value and someone voluntarily exchanges it. The state creates wealth at the expense of people. Mm-hmm. So it, they don't even need to meet consumer demand. People don't need to say, mm, this product is not up to quality or that service is is not worth me having it. That war is not worth fighting. So again, no matter what you think about this, you, th- the worst enemy you have is going to at some point have this power and you won't have the incentive to fight it because it's a $5 trillion a year machine and we get one in like 300 million votes or it's like 180 million votes in America. But then there's the Electoral yeah. College. And then there's assuming that the votes are actually counted. There was a great story. One of my favorites is this woman who got a ballot in the mail from a uh, fr- from an organization and it was an official ballot and it was made out to her cat who had died 12 years ago because they had listed it uh, as uh, someone in the house because they needed the state to recognize that the cat was vaccinated and they thought it was a living person and they sent the <laughs> dead cat a ballot. <laughs> or the guy from Project Veritas who voted in both New Hampshire and Florida for the presidential race or the 50,000 ballots given in uh, Ohio uh, that were sent to the wrong address that was confirmed by ABC. I mean, so even when it's like just at the base, when people like Charlie Kirk are like, well, uh, you know, we're always going to have government and we just need to uh, recognize it. First of all, no, you're not. Second of all, you don't believe the government could even count the votes correctly. And you're going to tell me, well, they should keep us safe and they should regulate this and they should tariff that. They can't even count the votes. The (laughs) very thing that makes them legitimate, they can't even do. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's like saying we're going to run a marathon and you can't even get off the couch. Okay. Well then I'm, I'm not going to buy. You can do this majestic thing when you can't do this basic thing. It's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting paradox to hold in your mind that, that the government can't count the votes properly, but we need to trust the government to do stuff. It's like, but the government, like the government needs, what we need to do is vote to fix it. It's like, well, I'm pretty sure that's not going to go the way you want guys. <laughs> or, or they're like, yeah, we're going to have to respond militarily. It's like the first time NATO ever declared war was after 2001. And they'd been around since 1949. And after 20 years, the Taliban took over in 11 days. And now you're like, Oh, watch out, Putin, watch out, president. Xi. <laughs> 
might have to defend <laughs> ta- uh, the Donbass and Taiwan and Tehran. If you guys don't get your act together, it's like, okay, are there still tons of unsolved murders in Chicago? How about Atlanta? How about LA? Okay, well, then I don't believe you. Are there still mass yeah. murders? They call them mass shootings conveniently so they could blame the gun. Are there still mass murders in America? Well, then I don't believe you can go solve the problems of other countries. I yeah. mean, it's amazing how people see that it's literally uh, the, the same uh, organization when it comes to the military in Afghanistan and uh, who would be doing the defending offensive in uh, in Russia. And they just don't have uh, – they have like no standards. And that's why is this is why I say it's even bad for them. Like it's one thing for it's like, well, it's immoral for you to do X, Y, and Z to other people and for them to do it to you. It's even bad for you when you say – I'm going to throw away all the standards that I have. The thing that makes me human, the ability to reason and have competing standards and make decisions, I'm going to totally throw that away and blindly obey this organization called the state. So it's even bad for people. Um, and that's why I especially think that people would like chapter 42 of uh, this book, two people shaking hands on the front, and you see the nice lattice work. That's how Rothbard described the free market. Um, chapter 42 of this book is just a list of logical fallacies by the uh, great libertarian philosopher Michael Humer. And he just says, here are the 14 fallacies you need to know about. You'll be much less likely to get manipulated in your life. So even if you're not into politics at all, well, then you should be a voluntarist and you should hate politics. But even if you're not into this realm of anything, check out chapter 42. I think it's uh, th- there's 14. I-, I forget how many pages, but there's 14 fallacies that he goes through. And I was just blown away by this. I thought it was so cool, and that's why I uh, wanted to include it into the book. The point is you will learn stuff that will make you a smarter person. It's not just about changing other people's minds. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Juliet, do you have any final – I don't want to keep Keith forever. Do you have any kind of final questions for Keith? No, not right this second. I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm interested to read the book and um... – I don't know. It's, this is one of those topics I always have to like really chew on for a while to think it all the way through. I don't, it's, it's interesting. There's certain things like that, that I just have to like, there's a lot of back and forth in my head about how I feel about it. So it was very uh, enlightening conversation. Well, thank it's you guys uh, so much for having me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But free, free PDF on odyssey.com. Yeah. And uh, I'm at uh, Barnes and Noble now. So if you look at the Libertarian oh, cool. Institute book section, you could see the link to Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and a free PDF. I know a lot of people don't like Amazon. I have no problem with that. And I'm glad that uh, Barnes and Noble uh, now has an option to uh, purchase both the ebook and the paperback uh, through Barnes and Noble. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to end by challenging with the question, Keith, because, uh, my road from limited government to uh, volunteerism took a few years. Uh, and along the way, I, I, I went through some rest stops. So I'm going to ask you a rest stop question. Uh, is there anything uh, that the government does that you would voluntarily pay for? Let's imagine there was no taxes at all. Um, but you could voluntarily they just, they, they went out hat in hand and said, Hey, uh, we want to go do this thing. Is there anything you would voluntarily donate money to them to do? Donate money to this organization? No, nothing. Th- that doesn't mean there aren't uh, things like uh, states currently pr- uh, 
monopolize and coercively fund things like roads. And those, of course, I would want. Um, there's a great section in here, chapter 17, titled Privatize the Roads. This is by uh, Dr. Walter Block. Um, he says, because there is nothing unique about transportation, the economic principles we accept as a matter of course in practically every other arena of human experience apply here too. As always, the advantage enjoyed by the market is the automatic reward and penalty system imposed by profits and losses. When customers are pleased, they continue patronizing those merchants who have served them well because that business had succeeded in satisfying concern consumers they earn a profit while entrepreneurs who fail to satisfy them are soon driven to bankruptcy so yeah things like roads would be things that i would voluntarily uh, associate with but this current regime i mean it would like anything short of like i'm dying of thirst and there's water and i'm in the desert all right i'll pay for that but anything else i just hate these pricks so much that um it would uh, it, it would almost be impossible Fair enough. Fair enough. Good answer. Uh, well, thank you for your time, Keith. I we I posted a link to the book in chat. I'll post it again in the uh, description. And um, remind everyone, it, it is called The, the Voluntarist Handbook. Handbook, yes. A collection of essays, excerpts, and quotes. Sad that I had to look at the front of that uh, in order to remember the specific remember one. But yes, yeah. the Voluntarist Handbook <laughs> subtitle. We worked with a few, but that is the most accurate, uh, uh, and that's the one we uh, we went with. It's it's fast. It's an easy read. Each chapter is just a few pages long. I try to get uh, people from the left, people from the right, uh, people with about 50 different starting points who came to the same conclusion, like I said, over a span of 171 years that uh, people have uh, been writing on this topic for. So uh, thank you guys so much for having me on. Uh, Juliet, I uh, really hope you enjoy the book. Thank you. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Well, thank you, Keith. As a reminder to everyone, we've got uh, 4.51 every, uh, almost every Tuesday. I don't know if there's one tomorrow. That's hosted by Alex Maselli. Rebel Civics on Wednesdays with Keith Bissett. Dangerous Thoughts on Wednesday nights with me. Uh, Token Minority Report on Thursdays with Beverly. And head over to unsafespace.com if you want to share the content or help us out by supporting us in any way. Thanks again, Keith. And uh, we will have you back, I'm sure. Anytime. Take care. Thanks for sticking around until the end. If you're new to Unsafe Space, check out our deep content library that includes discussions with everyone from James Lindsay to Brett Weinstein. And please consider helping to fund our work by visiting unsafespace.com donate. You can find us on a variety of social media platforms, and you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space Discord server which is open to financial supporters at any level. We hope to see you there. Warning, this is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production is known by the state of California to cause unregulated ideation that may be harmful to bureaucrats. Association with the following individuals or tacos is strictly prohibited apropos of nothing i was just wondering how would you feel about another pandemic
Your president is in full control of his mental faculties. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Science, scientific, and scientifically are registered trademarks of the World Economic Forum. Unauthorized use is prohibited. Computer voice courtesy. Never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.